You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at Home and Abroad, and it, despite how it might appear four years ago, yeah, a whole four years ago, we got the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with what was the then incoming Irish Ambassador Jim Kelly. And as with all these uh, diplomatic appointments, they are all time sensitive, and it's not as if anyone goes past their, their best by date. Far from it in this particular case. Uh, we have been very fortunate to have a fantastic ambassador here in Canada for the last four years, and he's now sadly going to be departing us and moving on to New York. And Jim uh, Kelly, the ambassador, His Excellency, has taken the time, is here for a chat. Ambassador Kelly, thanks a million for agreeing to come along for a chat. Thanks, thanks for having me on again, Austin. Um, it, does it seem like four years? Uh, no, it doesn't. Uh, we were talking about this the other day. We actually have, uh, just, for, just for your listeners' information, we actually have our Packers here today. So, uh, so we're, halfway, we're halfway out the door, though not, not quite. But we were just remarking when we were finalizing our packing last night that uh, it seems to have gone by in, in a blur, you know. Um, and that's how, that's how life is sometimes, I guess. But it's been a, uh, a wonderful experience, both professionally and personally. Really, you know, a, a life-changing experience and one that... Uh, that not only myself, Anne and our two girls, Orla and Kira, I think we'll all, we'll all always treasure. And Ambassador, you're fortunate, I guess, that your kids are at an age where they will really remember their time in Canada. Yeah, no, that's, that's very true, Austin. Um, and of course, you know, it really is all about that. I mean, we, we were posted previously in New York when they were very small. Uh, and they remember some of it, but not all. Now, as you say, we're, we're going back there, so they'll have a chance to refresh that. But, uh, but they've had the benefit of being of an age where they could experience uh, the country fully. And, you know, we've had the good fortune uh, to travel all over, uh, all over Canada, and it's been a, a, an extraordinary experience. It has been a very busy four years on all fronts also. Um, that there have been a lot of political developments, there have been a lot of diplomatic developments and um, there have been personnel issues insofar as at the embassy I think we should um, mention early on Michael Hurley who was the uh, deputy head of mission and a fantastic ambassador for Ireland, a representative for Ireland passed away after his move to China Yeah, now that's really been you know one of the saddest things of course that, that's happened uh, during our time here, also Michael was a, as you say, a fantastic representative uh, of Ireland in everything he did. Um, he was a wonderful friend and colleague, and a great friend to me for, from, you know, for more than 25 years. Um, and I remember when I found out I was coming here uh, in 2016, how happy I was uh, to know that Michael was going to be here as well, um, because we knew each other so well. We, we we had worked together not directly, but in different in different roles over the years and I knew we would get along and we would do a lot of do a lot of good things together so that was a, a wonderful part of the uh, of the experience here and obviously it was a huge shock um, then to hear the news of the sudden passing in Beijing in late May um, and I think you know I've spoken to a lot of people here about it and you know we obviously saw it as a huge personal loss but I think so many people in the community who got to know Michael over the five years that he was here, because he was here for, for five years um, with Anne-Marie and their children. Um, so many people knew them all as, uh, as great friends um, in all parts of Canada that Michael traveled to. And I know, uh, you know I got hundreds of messages, uh, all of which, of course, I made sure to convey to Anne-Marie in the weeks afterwards. And we replied to them from here and then 
and then um, pass them on to Anne-Marie and I know she'll, she will have been in touch with many people since then but uh, of course first and foremost also you know we, we, we remember Michael uh, as a family man and we know that the losses is, is, is just unbearable for, for Anne-Marie and their, their three children uh, James and Neve and Kira and indeed Michael's parents uh, who are still with us and siblings and broader family too so it was um, it was a, a personal loss for all of us and we, we miss him very much You mentioned that uh, you know he had made a huge impression in Canada and everywhere he went and right across the country and if we switch to going right across the country and you commented yourself you had the opportunity to travel the country since you arrived Ambassador the Irish government had set a goal of expanding the Irish footprint and you were part of that effort here in Canada also. Yeah, that's right Austin and that was a very exciting part of the, the journey if you like in four years and to be honest I, I got a little lucky at a personal level in the sense that one of the, the goals I had coming out that I discussed um, with, uh, with our Secretary General and the Department back in early 2016 was about the need to increase our footprint in Canada, such a huge country with such a deep ties, historic ties of friendship going back hundreds of years, huge people-to-people -people links, um, and only one mission here um, in one part of the country, and uh, covering a whole country the size of Canada with that level of relationship. It didn't seem sufficient investment, so we were fortunate that what we were trying to do there chimed, uh, as it turned out, very well with um, the new Taoiseach at the time, Leo Varadkar, who when he came into office in 2017 made Global Ireland and doubling uh, our global footprint across the world uh, a key stone, if you like, of his, uh, of his government's policy and that continues to be uh, the policy today. And here in Canada, we've benefited directly from that in seeing um, our new diplomatic consulate in Vancouver um, with Consul General Frank Flood and Jenny Burke and the staff there uh, and they are actually moving shortly into brand new offices there. They've been in, in a temporary co-location billet with, um, with the German consulate, with our friends in the German consulate, which has been great, but now they're moving into their own space. And I know from talking to all the friends and colleagues in Vancouver what a huge impact the consulate has had uh, in all uh, of our areas of interest there, both in dealing with the community, on the trade and business side, um, on cultural issues, so many things that made a huge impact, um, and you know, there's such a such a, a vibrant and sizable Irish community in uh, British Columbia. It's, uh, I think it's a, a very important gap filled. And then the next goal, which I know will be something for uh, that my successor, Amy McKee, will be will be working to take forward, will be the the opening in the next few years of a of a similar diplomatic consulate in uh, the city of Toronto. Um, we have a new honorary consul, a wonderful new honorary consul, Edna Heffernan, who's uh, such a leading light in the community there, involved in so many different organizations over the years. And she's kindly agreed to serve for the couple of years of the interim period before we move to um, the diplomatic consul. And we're delighted to have her in the longer term. As I say, though, Toronto, the commercial capital of the country, is so important. Um, to have a full diplomatic presence to go with the, the state agency presence on the ground there. So we're making, we're making very good progress in all that and I'm happy with how far we've managed to get uh, even in difficult times. And some of the state agencies, the IDA, have now established a presence in Ireland as part of that footprint. Or in, sorry, here in Canada. Yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah. No, that's been a huge thing too because the Global Ireland Programme isn't just about you know, opening embassies or consulates. It's about our footprint more broadly and 
you know, in, in, in trade and investment, tourism, um, and other agencies, Science Foundation Ireland, Board BIA, and so forth, in different markets in different parts of the world. So the state agency presence expanding has been partially, I think, about Global Ireland, but also partially in response to the opportunities on the trade and economic side, and if you like, to the ratcheting up of the political relationship, which has seen a huge expansion in political visits from Ireland. We had 21 visits in the three years between Patrick's Day of 2017 and Patrick's Day of this year. So we would historically have averaged one to two visits a year. So to go from that to averaging seven uh, for a country our size is a big ramp up. And the agencies have been a huge part of that process. Each of those visits has had a, a trade or tourism component, investment component as well. And the IDA opening in Toronto and, and moving away from simply covering Canada uh, remotely from the U.S., I think is a real vote of confidence in those opportunities. Um, and it, you know, when, when you're putting your boots on the ground, you're showing that you, you're, you're serious about trying to um, about trying to, to go after that growth. And uh, we're very happy, I think, uh, as the agencies are with the results uh, that have been delivered so far there. And some of the agencies that have been around for a long number of years have been busy, I know, expanding their footprint, particularly uh, out west uh, in so far as I think uh, Tourism Ireland were able to have trade missions go out west where they hadn't done previously and maybe some other missions so uh, the footprint and re the reach uh, over the last four years uh, has been expanded in every way. Yeah I, I think you know this is always the old thing about your, 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 your reach um, uh, and your grasp you know and trying to match the two and I think you know, Team Ireland writ large has recognised um, the need to scale up, to take advantage of those opportunities. And as you say, Tourism Ireland have gone way beyond their traditional markets within Canada now, uh, reflecting, of course, the fact that we now have direct flight connections from different parts of the country too, fortunately in abeyance at the moment because of, of COVID. But that, that, that will pass. But Tourism Ireland, you know, reaching out into, into new markets. Enterprise Ireland also expanding their team on the ground in Toronto and with plans now shortly, even with um, the current difficulties to go ahead and open a new office in Montreal as well. So, so you know, we're forging ahead on all fronts and there obviously will be challenges and we'll, we'll talk a bit about COVID later and there'll be challenges to sustaining that progress um, in the current, within the current constraints, which I know the agencies and indeed Eamon, my successor, is something that they'll be very conscious of and they'll be energetically pushing to find new ways of working to do that, I'm sure. And yes, we will chat about COVID a little uh, further on. But um, before we get to that, the um, other area, and you mentioned the direct flights, um, there has been a lot of Canadian investment into Ireland as well. So that the direct link has both benefited the Canadian side and the Irish side. Everything is bidirectional. Yeah, it, it really is awesome. I've always made this point when you, when you talk about flights because, of course, you know, we live in an age when um, the decisions that airlines make naturally enough are, you know, we're not talking about government-run airlines for the most part anymore. They're commercial, commercially driven decisions and for a flight to be sustained, it's got to work in both directions and also it's got to be not just, say, leisure tourism or business, uh, business tourism, but both, you know. So you have to really, you have to take advantage of these uh, links when they're set up 
Um, and we've been encouraged by what we've seen. And indeed, again, you know, you have to qualify everything with COVID at the moment. But, but prior to that, I know that WestJet, for example, were very happy with uh, the progress on their on their Western routes and the numbers that they were seeing, and they were going to expand. Uh, they had planned to expand the frequency uh, of their Calgary direct flight, for example, this year. So, so that shows that. Um, there's an element if you if you build it they will come you know that there are there were untapped uh, there was untapped potential there um, and those direct links have uh, have shown that and um, so to say we're you know we're going to we're going to go through a difficult period now but we have to to try to sustain and hold on to what as much of what we've gained as we can and then to to go forward and um, when we have a better better in, in environment in which to do so to go forward again. Ambassador, one of the never-ending stories we had over the last few years when you and I chatted, of course, was Brexit. Um. <laughs> and it hasn't ended yet. You're going to see me out of here before <laughs> you're, you're passing the baton on that one. <laughs> yeah, it'll be passed for a while, I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, I was talking a little bit about it yesterday on, a, on another podcast, actually. And I mean, just to take it back to first principles, as we've said all along, Austin, the two biggest concerns from an Irish perspective have been, of course, the uh, the risk of damage to the economic, the strong economic relationship between Ireland and the UK, um, but more importantly and more fundamentally, um, the risk of damaging peace and prosperity on the island in the event that we had to reinstitute uh, a hard border. Now, thankfully, um, the work that was done uh, from very early on to identify and advocate those concerns and put them front and centre in the discussion on the withdrawal agreement uh, which had to precede the UK's departure that worked for fruit and the withdrawal agreement that's been ratified by both the EU and the UK um, provides for a situation where there will be no uh, return to a hard border on the island and such uh, regulatory and customs checks are required such as required will be done at the, the ports instead. So I won't relitigate all the reasons why that's so important. Also, your, your listeners are familiar with them. We've gone through them in, in depth before. But I think that is a, a hugely uh, important, um, hugely important uh, deliverable for us to ensure that that doesn't happen. We know how central the invisible border, if you like, is to the, the dynamic within the Good Friday Agreement settlement. Uh, and we didn't want to see that, and we, we couldn't have that unbalanced. Um, so we were very pleased that uh, that we were able to achieve what we needed there. On the broader question of the economic relationship, of course, as you know, negotiations on uh, negotiations on the future relationship deal are still ongoing. Uh, they're difficult enough, um, if one can believe what one reads. The deadline for that is the end of the year, and you know, with COVID going on as well, it's an added, an added variable. So we'll just have to see how that comes out. We at least have been engaged from very early on, as I think I said to you the first time we spoke from long before even the referendum itself, uh, in thinking about how best to mitigate the impact uh, of Brexit on, uh, on our economy. So some of the sectors that are most exposed to the UK market um, you know, have been receiving uh, specific supports in uh, national annual budgets uh, over the past few years. And there's been quite a push as well to encourage, which Enterprise Ireland have been very much involved in, to encourage diversification where possible uh, out of the UK market, uh, indeed to to a number of priority countries, including Canada. So that's, that too has been an important part of the export growth story here as well. So Brexit, while obviously a very negative thing in the round, has had a push factor, uh, has offered a push factor in several ways in relation uh, to the Ireland-Canada relationship on the economic side. 
Ambassador, this would be an appropriate time to talk about John Hume, considering we're talking about Brexit, the Good Friday Agreement, and how, how important it is that the relationship between the North of Ireland and the South of Ireland be uh, maintained and the impact that John Hume had on that. Yeah, no, it was very sad uh, news, the, the passing of, of, of John Hume earlier in the week. Um, and it was, you know, it was, uh, it was heartening to see the outpouring of uh, tribute and affection um, to John Hume because, of course, uh, the work he did wasn't always appreciated in, in all quarters at the time. And I think he showed, you know, I think it, it has been generally acknowledged, he showed really courageous leadership in, in, the, in the darkest days uh, I think I put it myself on, on the message I put up on Twitter that his leadership and his, his extraordinary political vision and his commitment to peace really lit up what were very dark days in the, in the late 1980s uh, and even into the early 1990s. And I think, you know, the work of peace, uh, the peace process and the work of peacemaking in Ireland uh, was the work of many hands. Um, but I think it's fair to say that John Hume's contribution was the indispensable contribution in many ways because it was his ideas, if you like, that provided the foundation and the framework for what became uh, the Good Friday Agreement. And John Hume was very interesting, I think, as a politician because he was something of a teacher, I suppose, a pedagogical politician. He had ideas, um, very grounded ideas, and he never wavered for them. He repeated those ideas. He was consistent even through the very worst parts of the, of the troubles and the conflict when it looked like um, you know peace might never come or for a very long time he was unmoved from what he understood to be um, the basis for a future agreement he had I think some wonderful quotations that uh, that we heard from him over, over, over and over again that people needed to spill their sweat and not their blood that his concern fundamentally was for the divisions between people, not the division of territories, and for healing those divisions between people. That situation in which he grew up in, that he had learned from that, the importance of equality of treatment, the importance of respect for diversity, and the fact that difference, as he often put it, was an accident of birth and no more than that. And if you look at the framework of the Good Friday Agreement, those principles of equality of treatment of respect for diversity, including respect for diverse aspirations, they're at the very core of the settlement within the Good Friday Agreement. So when you look at the, the agreement and the institutions that are there today, um, peace that was put in place, John Hume's work, his life's work indeed, was at the very heart of that. So um, he was a statesman, a really uh, skillful statesman, and I think um, we have a better future in Ireland because of them, all of us, and I think we owe him a great debt of gratitude. Ambassador, you mentioned numerous times and um, COVID-19 has had a disruptive impact on everybody and even on the work that you would have been doing and the office, um, everything. So uh, the Irish community I know here in Canada have rallied and uh, the embassy has been supporting some of those efforts. Um, do you want to comment on, on that? Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, firstly, just in, in terms of COVID in general, um, you know, I'm, I'm very conscious that there will be people listening who have lost loved ones and, and family and friends uh, through this most difficult period and just to, to, to sympathise with them. 
Uh, and then more broadly than that, I suppose, Austin, something, it's a unique experience and in some ways I think it's the first genuinely universal experience. Even, you know, world wars and so forth, there were, there were corners of the world that weren't touched by them. There is nowhere, it appears, that isn't touched by this pandemic. And also, in the world we live in now with social media, there is an awareness of that fact as well. Um, so we really are all in the one boat when it comes to when it comes to this. And I mean, this actually, I, I think, is where here in Canada, you know, just thinking in terms of our own work and our relationship with the Irish community, I have to say it has been so heartening and encouraging. It didn't surprise me, but but it really was wonderful to see the way the community, our community here, pulled together. Um, and pulled together all over the country and didn't even wait in many cases, you know, to hear from embassies or whoever about um, about uh, how how people could, could, could help each other, but just got on with it themselves. And by the time we were, you know, putting in place a support program, uh, many communities were already working on their own and then we were able to work together and we could find ways, you know, to fund care packages and food vouchers and support for mental health. In some cases, just support for organizations to enable them to, to keep the lights on uh, with what they were doing uh, at a community level, which I think is a very important part of all this to ensure that when this passes, you know, what has been built won't have been destroyed by, uh, by the pandemic at a community level. So we, I, I was part of a piece of work that was done, you know, back a little bit earlier in the, during the pandemic in, in April and May around putting in place a response fund, uh, a government response fund for Irish communities abroad. And then since that's been agreed, we, we rolled that out here in Canada. We had a lot of uh, virtual meetings, video conferences with, with community groups and citywide groups as well in different parts of the country. And we've been able to support, I think, 10 or 11 uh, different projects in different parts of the country now, I think coming to about, about $120,000, $130,000 so far and I say the kind of things involved are, are you know care packages and um, communications uh, sustaining organizations and food vouchers and so forth a lot of different things um, but it's been according to need also we, we rely on the community groups who, uh, who are in touch on the ground to identify the needs they're the channel and then for the support we um, we have those relationships of trust thankfully with community organizations all over the country and this is where you really get to uh, this is where you really get to the benefit of that uh, that close-knit community that when people are in need then the community is there to help them and we're just glad to be uh, to be a part of that effort and I just want to say uh, since some of those people are listening a huge thank you to everyone in the community who's shown leadership and commitment and given us their their time um, to, to help others uh, who, who are more needy in the current situation. I think it's, uh, it speaks volumes about the great community we have here. It really does. Uh, Ambassador, in terms of that community, you are about to leave it. You mentioned the, the boxes are being packed as we speak, and you're heading back south. <laughs> you're, you're heading back south into uh, a role again in the United States. Yes, yeah, and I'm actually going to be uh, returning to, to, to my old haunt, as it were. I, I served at our, our mission to the United Nations in New York, um, not immediately before this, but it was my, my previous posting, um, and I've been asked by uh, our Secretary General to go back uh, to the mission uh, to fill what's a, 
a kind of an additional ambassador level post um, on our Security Council team um, for our Ireland term of the Security Council in 2021-22, which is uh, a great honour and a privilege. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm very sad uh, to be leaving Canada, but I'm, I'm very excited about about that prospect, about that prospect too, about being part of uh, of you know something that I think will be a very important part of our diplomacy now for the next few years. There are so many difficult situations uh, on the peace and security front that the Security Council deals with, um, and you know we'll be doing our best to play our part um, to uh, to stand up for for the values that we believe in and to try to to assist as best we can in, in dealing with those uh, very difficult conflict situations around the world. Well, Ambassador, um, all I can say at this stage is that I do wish you and Anne and the family the best uh, on your next posting. And um, as I said at the beginning, um, you know, you, you haven't gone past your best by date. We have been blessed in this country. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, hope, hope, thank, thank, thanks so much, Austin. Hopefully, hopefully the best before days will be good for a while. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I think so indeed. <laughs> you never know. But can I just maybe say a couple of things just in, in, in closing? Indeed. Um, awesome. First, I just, just want to say to your listeners out there, um, so many of whom I'll have met over the years, a huge thank you for all the support and cooperation and you know your continued commitment um, to your Irish culture and heritage and identity. It's something that really is a wonderful part of, 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 uh, of my job here is to meet so many people um, you know, of Irish heritage, to hear their different stories of how they came to be here, the links that they maintain to home, and it's really, um, you know, it's always a, it's always an enjoyable thing, and it's such a, it's such a huge part of the bilateral relationship. I mean, when you think about, as I've said before, you know, one in seven Canadians um, claim uh, Irish heritage, and that opens doors um, for us here in the embassy, for Irish people all over Canada. So it's just everything we do here whether it's in you know trade or on the political or diplomatic side it builds on that history and on those strong people to people links and for everyone who's listening who may have helped us or supported us uh, and who certainly welcomed us um, when we came here and during our time here um, on behalf of myself and Anne and Orla and Kira um, and all the embassy I just want to say a huge Gurmagas and I want to say to you Austin I want to thank you for the wonderful work you do in promoting all things Irish. I won't even enumerate the list, but uh, I was an avid listener of your podcast, actually. I think I might have mentioned it to you once. Before I came here, I used to go out running and I'd tune into the podcast and I would learn all sorts of things if I was happy enough to scroll back six months or a year um, that I didn't know. And it was part of my, it's part of my induction uh, before I came here. And uh, you have a wonderful curiosity and interest in everything that makes for a very eclectic uh, podcast. So I just want to thank you for your your continuing contribution. And you haven't gone past your best before days either, and you're often. So I hope I hope you'll continue to do it for 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 many many years. Indeed, Ambassador Jim Kelly, thank you very much indeed for your generosity and your time. Very much,